Good morning, everyone, and happy Easter to you. I think you can do better than that. Christ is risen. Yeah, yes, thank you. So we're concluding our series on uh, miracles today, and we're talking about the greatest miracle of all time, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I want to remind you of the very first scripture verse that I, sh- I shared with you when we began the series. It's found in Psalm 77, verse 14, and it says, You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. And so we recognize the thing about Christianity is that it is absolutely a faith of miracles, of the miraculous. Take miracles out of the equation and you're left with nothing more than a philosophy or a moral code. And so we recognize today that God is still in the business of doing miracles. Amen? Yeah, if you're not sure of that, we hope that before you leave here today, you'll be sure of it. So let me just remind you of what a miracle is. A miracle is a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. And we believe that that work done by that divine agency is none other than our God, our Lord. So, and speaking of the greatest miracle of all time, the theologian and apostle Paul, he makes a very shocking statement. In fact, we see in this statement Paul's complete and utter belief. It's total. A belief in Jesus Christ and his resurrection. There's not a shred of doubt in him. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, uh, verse, uh, verse 17, pardon me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, and it says, and if Christ has not been raised, that is resurrected, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. It's a shocking statement because what the Apostle Paul is saying is that if you remove the resurrection from the Christian equation, there, there is no faith left. There is no Christianity Paul is saying that not only is your Christianity null and void and empty, but you are still left in your sin. You're still guilty. And so we recognize that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have new life. In fact, the Bible's clear that all who put their faith in Jesus Christ will be given brand new life, will be given eternal life. And the practical outworkings of this is that the guilt and the shame that you have had in your life, or maybe have even now, can be wiped away when Jesus Christ forgives you. That's the gospel that we talk about. That's the good news. Whatever you've done, whatever sin plagues you, whatever guilt fills your heart and clouds your vision, the Bible tells us that when we put our faith in Christ, he can remove all of this. He can take it all away. And even more than that, because Christ rose from the dead, it someday shall live again. We too shall be resurrected and given brand new bodies. That is the gospel. That's what Easter is all about. That's what the cross is all about. That the one who died on the cross died for your sins and mine. And after he died and was buried, he rose again to new life. Folks, that's what we celebrate here at Cross Church. We celebrate the brand new life that's ours through Christ. Now, 
Paul, let me get back to this, this idea that, um, that if there is no resurrection, there is no Christianity. Let me tell you why I believe in the resurrection. Um, and I've I got to say this before I go any further. I believe the resurrection not because I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because I believe in the resurrection. It goes in that order. The resurrection proves to us that, in fact, Jesus' message is valid. It proves to us that it's a faith that we can put our hope in. People that have no hope have, have no, uh, no ability to face the future. But those who have hope, those who have the assurance that Jesus Christ has done what he said he's, he's going to do, have the ability to face tomorrow. In fact, they're the ones that are full of life. So let me just share three reasons why I believe in the resurrection. The first is the events of what happened at the grave. And here's what it says in Matthew 27, 65 and 66. After Jesus was died and was taken down from the cross, the religious rulers were afraid that, that his disciples would steal him, would steal his body. And so, and of course... Through that, they would, in, in some manner, some way, uh, spread the word that, in fact, uh, something miraculous had happened. So, you know, the religious leaders talked to Pilate, and Pilate agreed, we cannot let this, what they thought was a cult, they cannot let the cult of Jesus go on any further. It's got to come to an end. It's got to come to a stop. And so here's what the Bible says. Pilate said to, uh, said to the leaders, take a guard, is take some soldiers and go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So basically what we've got is we've got this massive stone that's in front of the tomb of Christ. Jesus' body has been laid in there. They put a stone on it. And now the Roman government has put a seal on it. And you, you risk your life if you tamper with that seal. You do not touch that Roman seal. You leave it alone. And to make sure that nobody tampers with that seal, of course, Pilate posted these, these guards. Now, here's the miracle of it all. Somehow, the, the seal is removed. Somehow, the guards are overcome. And somehow, that stone is in fact moved. Oh, who did it? Well, the Bible records that, the, that it was women that went to the tomb first. They were the first ones there. It wasn't, wasn't the, you know, the, the group of, of the disciples who were hiding behind the corner waiting for an opportune time to come around the corner and overtake the guards and remove the seal and move the stone and steal Jesus' body. Some people believe that. But what you need to understand about the disciples is that as soon as Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he went to the cross, they went running. They went hiding. The only ones that had any courage were the women. The men were scaredy cats. They were hiding behind their wives' skirts, I guess. I don't know. But they didn't want anybody to see them. They didn't want anybody to find them. Remember, remember the apostle Peter? When that little girl says, hey, weren't you a follower of Jesus Christ? And he goes, no, I wasn't. And in fact, he says that three times and, and then ends up swearing at this little girl, saying, I did not know him, and, you know, and then uses his profanity. No, I did not. And he goes, goes into hiding. So now we've got the disciples are all in hiding. These, these disciples who were afraid of even being recognized on the street, 
These were not the ones that came to the tomb. It, were, it was the women. But here's what the Bible tells us about, about the removal of the seal and of the overcoming of the guards and the moving of the stone. It says in Matthew 28, 2 to 3, there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And so we recognize that something miraculous took place because no one at that time would have been able to overcome these guards, remove the seal, or even move the stone. First of all, they didn't have the manpower, and second of all, they didn't have the courage. It was a a supernatural intervention. The second thing that makes me believe in the resurrection are the number of witnesses that saw Jesus Christ after he arose from the dead. Now, if you were at our doctrines class, you would remember that we reviewed the very first creed of the church. And part of that creed was a reminder to everybody of the numbers of people who actually saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. And here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 9. We'll we'll pick it up at verse 5. It says, Jesus was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve, and then after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom were still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. And then Paul says, and last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. And so we see this whole list of people who actually had seen Jesus after he rose from the dead. And the Apostle Paul goes so far as to say this. If you have any questions about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you have any doubts, then we can, we can lead you to these 500 people who actually saw him. He says most of them are still alive, although a few have died, but the rest of them, you can, you can question them. In fact, Paul says, you can even question me because I also saw him. And you remember how Paul saw saw Jesus? He saw Jesus on that Damascus road, which I'll talk about in just a moment. So here we have it. The number of witnesses to Christ's resurrection is more than 500. In fact, the documentation behind the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so impressive that Oxford professor Thomas Arnold, author of the three-volume History of Rome, here's what he says. He says, I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is so proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer than the great sign which God has given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. And another scholar by the name of Henry Morris, he says this, it is no exaggeration, therefore, to maintain that the bodily resurrection of Christ is as certain as any fact of history can ever be. So he's saying that this fact, as recorded in Scripture, is as as factual and as true as any other fact of history. He says, if there is anything at all in which we can believe with absolute confidence, it is the fact that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and then conquered death, and is now alive. We know it because of the evidence. We know it because of the many, many witnesses. And here's what I would assert. If you've ever read the book of Acts, you'll know that that the apostle Peter, who was a scaredy cat, 
who didn't want, did not want to be seen by anybody, suddenly, empowered by the appearance of the resurrected Jesus, is emboldened, not just by that fact, but by the resurrection power, which I'm going to talk about in just a moment. He stands up and he preaches a message about Jesus Christ. And folks, there's 3,000 people who respond to that message. And I believe, folks, it's not just the message that wins 3,000 people to Christ. It's the fact that it's, it's common knowledge that Jesus Christ had reappeared. The word is on the street that Jesus Christ, who was crucified, has also been resurrected. He's alive. And for this reason, the Apostle Paul can make this statement with, without a shred of doubt. Take the resurrection out of Christianity, and Christianity collapses like a house of cards. He's absolutely 100% sure that it's all true. So the third reason why I believe in the resurrection, and by the way, I've got a list of dozens of reasons why I believe in the resurrection, but I wanted to share uh, some of the most uh, significant, in my opinion. And this third, this third reason why I believe, and it's this, it's the role that women played in the resurrection story. The fact that they were considered as witnesses. Now I'm going to tell you, the number uh, and identity of the women in the resurrection narrative uh, is a little bit confusing. And I'll tell you why. Because there were, in fact, four Marys recorded. I don't know if you know this. But there's Mary Magdalene. There's Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's uh, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. There's Mary, who is the wife of Clopas who is actually the brother of Joseph of Nazareth. In addition to that, to those four Marys, there's also Joanna, who is the husband, or whose husband is the manager for Herod Antipas. And then there's Salome, who is probably the mother of the apostles James and John. So we've got all of these women part of the resurrection narrative. And the Bible records that they're the first ones that saw Jesus. They're the ones that went to the tomb. Remember, the men were scaredy cats. They were hiding somewhere. They were too terrified. But these women, they went to actually care for Jesus' body. They, they were not expecting a resurrected Christ. They, they'd gone with the herbs and spices. They were going to properly uh, take care of his body, making sure that it was properly wrapped up and preserved. And to their surprise, they're confronted by the angel of God. Now, now here's what's significant, folks is that in the first century, women were not even eligible to testify in a Jewish court of law. They were not eligible because they were women. Josephus said that even the witness of multiple women was not acceptable, quote, because of the levity, that is the laughter, lack of seriousness, and the boldness of women. That's what he said. And all the women said, that's baloney, Right? Of course it's baloney. But look at this. It's Jesus Christ who turns culture on its head. And look, at if the Bible was going to try to pull one over on us, if the disciples were going to try to pull one over on us, they certainly would not have introduced women as witnesses to the resurrection. Celsus in the second century he was a critic of Christianity. He mocked the idea that Mary Magdalene was, an, uh, was a, a resurrection witness. 
He referred to her as an hysterical female deluded by sorcery. Isn't that insulting? Because she's a woman, therefore she must be hysterical and she's diluted. Now here's the thing that you and I need to recognize. The background, this background matters because it points to two crucial truths. First of all, it points us to a theological uh, truth. And that is that the kingdom of the Messiah turns the system of this world on its head. In this culture, Jesus radically affirms the full dignity of women and the vital value of their witness. And secondly, we see that there's a a powerful historical uh, uh, reminder of the accuracy of the event. They could have left women out of the out of the out of the, the resurrection narrative. Would it have affected things? Probably not. We do know that Jesus rose from the dead. We do know that there were five, over 500 witnesses. But the women are included to maintain the integrity of the, of the true story of what really, really happened. And so, if the goal of the early disciples was, was to delude people, for sure they would, have, they would have omitted this part, but they didn't. The resurrection story has been reviewed and reviewed and reviewed by scholars and theologians over 2,000 years. And to this day, folks, do you know that not one person can prove that the resurrection did not happen? It stands up there as truth, as verified truth, as much as any other truth in history that you'll study in any history class. But I'm gonna go a bit further. I wanna talk to you about resurrection power. Resurrection power that changes people. I talked to to you this morning about three reasons why I believe in the resurrection. But now I'm gonna talk about the resurrection power that manifests itself in God's people. Let me tell you about the early believers and how powerfully they were changed. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know that, that resurrection power at work in me, changing me, transforming me. If there's anybody here today, anybody here today that would say, Pastor Allen, I need to change. I need to experience a change of God in my life. I want you to know today that that resurrection power is available to do just that. For instance, look at these early believers in Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 37. It says, all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that, they, that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything that they had. Now you know that only somebody touched by the power of God would be prepared to share anything with anybody else. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. Look at this. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give, those, to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, one of the apostles, nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi, and he came from the island of Cyprus. Look at this. He sold the field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Who does that sort of thing? Who is willing to give everything that they have? 
Who's willing to sell their property and bring the proceeds from the sale of their property and bring it to the church and say, here, distribute it. Distribute it amongst those who have great need. Folks, look at this is such a powerful testimony in Jerusalem that we, we, we read in Acts that, that virtually everybody in the city hears about Jesus and hears about this Christianity, this this new way, as it's called. That's the power of the resurrection power in the lives of, of Christians. It changes you. It makes you do things you wouldn't normally do. I mean, who of us here would be prepared, prepared to sell our home and bring the proceeds to church and give it to the poor? Only those who've been changed by God. And this is the very first evidence of this resurrection power at work in the lives of the Christians. The next group of people that experience this resurrection power, and maybe I should have mentioned them first, are the disciples themselves. These disciples who were hiding, who did not want to be seen or known by anybody, suddenly they have this great Confidence, and they're able to stand before multitudes and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, even when they're warned by the religious leaders. If you speak, you will be punished. You'll be thrown into jail. And what do they do? They stand up and they preach anyway. That's resurrection power at work in the lives of the believers. And there's Apostle Paul. Some of you have heard of him. He was one utterly and completely changed. The Apostle Paul, some of you may or may not know this, before he was the apostle, before he was a Christian. Do you know what he did? He went around killing Christians. He was going around trying to destroy churches. He was going around making sure that, that Christians were shut up. In fact, we read in Acts chapter 6 and 7 that he presided over the stoning of Stephen, one of the very first appointed leaders of the church. He stood there and watched as Stephen was stoned to death. And Stephen looked to heaven. And rather than curse those who stoned him, he blessed them, and then he died. That must have been working on the apostle Paul as he left. Because we read that as Paul is on his way to a place called Damascus, he has what we now call the Damascus Road experience, where a blinding light literally knocks him to the ground, and he comes face to face with Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ says to him, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this? And what follows is none other than me, Paul says. But the resurrection power of God has saved me. Some of you sitting here today may feel that you're the chief of sinners. You may feel that the sin that you've committed, God can never, could never forgive you. But I want you to know that if God could forgive Paul, the murderer of Christians, and he can forgive you. That's the resurrection power at work in all who believe. And finally, I want to share one more. One more person who had resurrection power working in them. His name is James. He was, in fact, the brother of Jesus. Now, the interesting thing is this, folks, is that when Jesus was, was carrying out his ministry for those three years before he went to the cross, his own brother James said he was insane, he's out of his mind. James once tried to come and get Jesus and, and take him home. 
Remember, his family showed up at the door, and some of the others said, hey, Jesus, your brother and your your mother are here to take you home. They, They said Jesus was out of his mind. James would not believe in Christ. James believed his brother was deluded. James saw Jesus nailed to the cross, his hands and his feet nailed to the cross. He watched as a soldier stuck a spear in his side. He saw Jesus taken down from the cross, and he saw Jesus carried away to be buried. And what a shock it was when Jesus shows himself to his brother. The Bible says that James saw his brother resurrected. And it had such a profound effect on James that James kneels before his brother and acknowledges Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He acknowledges his brother as the Messiah. And the Bible tells us that James becomes one of the great leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Folks, that is the resurrection power to transform us, to change our minds, to help us to see what's real and what's not real, to help us see what's true. This resurrection power so held James that when it came time for him to to make a decision, am I gonna follow my brother Jesus, my Lord, or will I face death James says, I cannot deny my brother. I saw him resurrected. I cannot deny this fact. And James is martyred. He dies for his faith in AD 62. And I'm gonna tell you something right now, folks. No one dies for a fraud. Paul says, if there is no resurrection, then there is no faith. If there is no resurrection, then all of us are still left in our guilt and in our shame. But because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, because that resurrection power is still at work in us today, folks, lives are transformed, lives are changed, and there's people sitting here today who would say, I'm one of those who experienced that resurrection power. I am a testimony. I am a trophy of God's grace. I have been forgiven. Jesus Christ has saved me. I know that someday I'm going to heaven. Is that you today? It's me it's me. This morning I was sitting, watching, looking at Don Davidson just four or five rows back and he told me about how, how his life was before he came in full surrender to Jesus Christ. He said week after week, especially on a Sunday, rather than going to church because he felt guilty he wasn't in church. He grew up a, a, a son of an elder of the church His mom and dad were solid believers, wonderful people, but he was rebelling against God and he would sit there at home and he would be sipping his whiskey through a straw right out of the bottle, not even knocking it back, just sipping it right right in his lap, week after week. And then one day God spoke to him 
And he found his way back. The resurrection power of God found him. And some of you here today, you've got children and you've got a spouse, you've got loved ones that don't know Christ, that have forgotten Christ, that are far from Christ. And you feel tempted to give up and feel tempted to despair. But I want you to know today, the resurrection power is still at work. And you can still believe. Don't give up. Continue to believe. Maybe you're wrestling with an addiction today and you wonder, is there any way out? And I want you to know, yes, there is a way out. Jesus Christ has not forgotten about you. He still loves you. Cry out his name and you'll know the resurrection power at work in your life. I was thinking of Tom. You heard about him last week. On his deathbed, given two weeks to live, pastor doesn't know, comes to pray for him. The pastor prays for him and, and the pastor is told by the nurses he's not going to probably even last the night. And the next day that pastor gets a call from the hospital. That pastor believes that he's going to hear that Tom is dead. But God has done a miracle. The resurrection power has raised Tom up off of his sickbed. Richard Newman another one of our elders. Living the life of a reprobate. If he were here right now, he'd tell you that himself. And suddenly God appears to him powerfully, mightily. And Richard, knowing that he's got nothing left to do but to surrender to Jesus Christ who loves him. He gives his heart to Jesus Christ and God delivers him instantly of, of alcoholism. And he's set free. But the resurrection power. My brothers, my sisters, I want you to know today that if you've not experienced and are not experiencing the resurrection power in your life, you can experience it today. If you have wandered away from God and your life is not what it needs to be, my Bible tells me that all we have to do is come to Jesus. All we need to do is confess our sins. And the Bible says he's faithful and he's just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Only Jesus can do that because Jesus died on the cross and Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't just conquer death, my friends. He conquered sin. He conquered the grave and you can be free today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me, please? In a moment, we're going to have the band come back and sing one more time, Oh Happy Day. And this morning, I want to invite you to participate and sing with all your heart, believing that what Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago, he did for you. He did it for me. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for that resurrection power. It's still at work. God, thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for the way that you've kept me all these years. It's your resurrection power that's kept me safe. And I give you glory for that, Lord. And Lord, so many of us here today are here because of that resurrection power. You've delivered us from sin. You've helped us. You've saved us. You've healed us. God, for those who need a, a touch of hope today, God, would you fill their hearts with hope so that they can believe and trust you for the salvation of loved ones? And God, for those who are battling with temptation, 
Father, would you fill that heart right now with the confidence and the assurance, Lord, that you're able to set them free in Jesus' name. Thank you, oh God. Thank you for your love. And everyone said it with me. Amen. Why don't you sit down for a moment and watch this.